This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. Hey everybody, we're back again. Uh, we're in the midst of our, we've, well, we've been in selected psalms for a little while now. and Today we're on the second part of three parts of Psalm 127, Building a Better You, this part two. Uh, we're going to talk subtitle, What God Builds, God Guards. And of course, this is going to be on Facebook all week long and beyond. And then you can get this on YouTube. Also watch it that way. Um, and then you can download it as a podcast. So there's many ways to get this Bible study. So, what God builds, God guards in building a better you. Let me begin by saying this. Have you ever noticed that insecurity is a terrible, tormenting experience? Insecurity is an emotion. Not always a good one either. Kind of a bad emotion. And bad emotions are like windshield wipers on a rainy day. Like bad windshield wipers on a rainy day. It's blurry. You ever had bad windshield wipers? They don't clean anymore? That's what insecurity is like. You're driving, but you cannot see that road very well. It's really blurry. Now I think, <clears throat> at least I hope, that most of us would readily admit that we deal with insecurities in one way or another. Now, you're always going to run into a person here or there that say, oh, I don't have any insecurities. Oh, yeah, okay, whatever. I, I just don't buy that. Because I was one of those people that used to tell themselves, I don't have any insecurities, I don't have any fears. <laughs> and Though I knew it wasn't true. <laughs> but, um, so I finally started having to admit my insecurities because my life wasn't, my emotions were not growing and I knew it. I honestly knew it. So since we're not readily going to admit insecurities, I'll go first, okay? Let me admit some of mine over the years, what I've had to deal with. At age 33, I admitted my first insecurity. I was afraid of what people thought of me. Up until that time, I always told myself, I don't care what people think. It was just a lie. I just was lying to myself. And I finally admitted, I really care what people think about me. Well, that admission led to a, another uh, admission uh, uh, of insecurity. And another big insecurity I had was, I had this deep-rooted fear. And I wouldn't even say that I'm completely over this one. I think I'm about 85 uh, over it, but, but I had this fear that people would reject me and leave me. Oh, that, can you imagine being a church pastor? People come and go in churches. Can you imagine? <laughs> it was like stabbing me in the heart all the time. That was a deep insecurity. Then another insecurity I had to face up to. Jim, you had a lot of them. Yeah, so do you. <laughs> well, another one was my deep, 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 deep fear of failure. That I was going to step out in something and it was going to blow up in my face and I'm going to look like a fool. You know that I used to have nightmares about that? For years, for decades, I had nightmares on the fear of failure. It was I could tell you some weird ones. Then I stepped out into another insecurity I had a face up. And this was a real one for me. And I had this insecurity that if I went out into public places with a lot of people, something bad going to happen. Something's going to happen 
and I always have to be ready and on the alert and always scanning the environment for the potential catastrophe. I lived for decades that way too. And I didn't even realize what I was doing. But then as I started to admit all these things, it started to open up to what I call recognition. You can recognize these things. But while I was living in them, you know what they do? They steal your peace. The insecurity is a tormentor. It just torments you and I until we begin to face them. Now, I don't know yours. I know mine. I read something a long time ago that helped me, and I and I still use it, and uh, I use it especially talking to ministers or anybody that starts a business, and that is this. For me, it's a church. God, this church was your idea. Therefore, it's your responsibility to care for it. That helps me a lot because the whole idea of that is what God builds, God guards. Look. New beginnings doesn't belong to me. I can't make it grow. I can't make it do anything. I can only plant and water. That's all I can do. I'm a temp in the position. Someone's going to take over after me. This idea was not even, this church idea was not even my idea. God put it in my hand. I can't even take credit for that. <laughs> therefore, it's God's responsibility. So therefore, if it's His idea, His responsibility... Well, it's, it's his responsibility to care for it. So what God builds, God guards. You know that that has helped me so much? Takes off the burden, the weight off my shoulders. Let me give the application and application in, in different ways. If I let God build New Beginnings Community Church, God will guard it. Let me expand it out to all of us. If I let God build my marriage God's way, God will guard my marriage. If I let God build my dating life God's way, God will guard my dating life. If I let God guard my finances, live it out God's way, God will guard my finances. If I let God build my mind and my emotions operating His way, God will guard my mind and my emotions in Christ Jesus. I'll have peace. It's just that simple. What God builds, God guards. So, here we go. Psalm 127, part 2. The first thing I want to say is only God can give me ultimate security. I did all that to say this. Only God can give me ultimate security. Now, let's look at verse 1 of Psalm 127 again. Unless the Lord builds a house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards a city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. Now, let's go back and put yourself in their position. They would build their cities in in, antiquity times of antiquity, upon hills, mounds. That's why you hear the word Tel Aviv, Tel Atel is a hill. They build them up on hills and they build the walls up. So, and then they have obviously towers, you can shoot the arrows down. So here comes the enemy trying to siege the city. First they got to go up the hill. And then when they get to the top of the hill, then there's a big wall. And so they have all this way, you could just pick these guys off and pick these guys off. So it gave you a sense of security living inside that walled city. But here's the deal. In spite of the hill, the walls, you might even have a moat around there, they could still be conquered, and they knew that. It always loomed in the back of their mind that no matter how high the walls were and the defenses, 
It couldn't give them ultimate security. A siege could be laid upon them for up to, you know, months and years, just waiting them out until their food ran out. They knew that. They knew that. Now, I want you to think about that because the writer now is moving from the house, unless the Lord builds the house, to the city walls. What does that mean? He's moving from the inside to the outside. That's important because if I do not have inward security, I won't have outward security. Let me use real life illustrations. Let me, let me follow the sequence of stuff because I, I used to do a lot of counseling. I rarely counsel anymore. But there are patterns. It's, it's, you know what's interesting? Satan has no new game plan. They're all the same. I watch it in society. I watch it in things out there. I watch it in people. It's very an interesting thing when you start to look at it. But let me use a real life one. <clears throat> if I don't have inner security, I won't have outer security. If I don't have inner security, I'll be checking my spouse's messages to see what they're up to. Oh, don't act. If I don't have inner security, if my, mouse, my spouse is 20 minutes late, I'm going to wonder who they were with. If I don't have inner security, and we go to a gathering of people, and I see my spouse talking to someone of the opposite sex, I'll get jealous, and I might even be pouty on the drive home. I call that being a what's the matter. They have to ask you, what's the matter? Because you're, oh, nothing. Huh. Let me expand. If I don't have inner security, I'll be checking social media to see if all my friends didn't invite me somewhere. And if they didn't, I'll assume they don't like me. I'll assume they don't like me because I don't have inner security. If I don't have inner security, I'll be checking social media to see if the person I've started dating, if they're who they're talking to, are they talking to somebody else? That's social media stalking. Let me expand. If I don't have inner security as a parent, I'll be overcome with worry if my kids are out there. You know, what's going to happen? What's going to happen? Can I, I won't be trusting that they're in God's hands. And the list goes on and on and on and on. So let me go further. Big question. Why can only God give me ultimate security in life? Why? <coughs> Better question. What do people typically put their security in? What they possess. Money, security, retirement, savings, you know, whatever it may be. We put our security in what we possess. But I want you to notice something about that. In Matthew chapter 6, uh, verse 19 and 20. Matthew 6, verse 19 and 20. It's really interesting what Jesus says. Real smart, too. Watch this. He said, Jesus talking, and you know, and he's kind of smart. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven. He's not telling you not to save, not to have retirement. Not to, he's not saying that. He's making comparisons of security. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in 
or steal. What's going on? What's he say? He's saying everything we possess, everything we've ever worked for, everything we own, all of our money, everything and anything can be taken away. It can be lost. But Jesus can never be taken away. No one can break into heaven and steal Jesus. He's not up there having going, hope no one breaks in. <laughs> no one can steal him. You're not going anywhere. You know what that means? That if, if God is my ultimate security, when things happen, I lose things, I'm not going to fall apart and I'm not going to be shaken to the core where I feel like life is over. And if I don't make God my ultimate security, I'll be like the watchman, watching in vain. I'm just watching in vain. I'm watching in vain. The second thing I want to say about this is my security is rooted in my identity. Now, back to Matthew, watch what happens in Matthew chapter 4, in verse 5 and 6. My security, because I want to have inward security, because that translates into outward security. Look at Matthew verse, chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Then the devil took, and this is where the desert exchange happens between Jesus and the devil. Jesus has been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Then the devil took him to, into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. It's a pretty high spot. And said to him, watch what he tells him. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. Hmm. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Did you hear what Satan did? You better see what... This is spiritual warfare. He says, if you are the Son of God, then prove it. Go jump off the pinnacle of the temple, which is dumb. But he says... But he's really saying, you're not the Son of God. Prove it. Come on, prove it. What's the devil questioning? Jesus' identity. His sonship. Let me tell you the greatest, the greatest insecurity the enemy can throw at you and I. It's to make us question whether or not we are truly saved. To make you question your salvation. Oh man. Because you know it's going to play the game. Oh, I blew it this week, or I blew it last week. I did this ugly thing five years ago. It's going to come. I'm not saved anymore. Okay, let me take that ridiculous thinking and put it in another context so you can see how ridiculous it is. When your children do or say something wrong or bad, do you sit there and tell them, that's it, we're changing your last name, where, honey, honey, get the birth certificate and get the permanent marker out. We're going to cross this thing out. You're not, do you do that? No, you don't do that. You think that's, no, I'd never do that. Well, neither would God. It's your child and you're God's kid. You love them even when they blow it. So does God love you. They're still your son and your daughter and you're still God's son and daughter. And God is way more loving and way healthier than we are as parents. Better question. Why doesn't Jesus bend to Satan's identity question? 
Why doesn't Jesus say, yeah, am I the son of God? You know, maybe I should jump off the pinnacle of the temple. <laughs> Why doesn't Jesus bend? Well, the answer is found in the previous chapter of Matthew. Because the devil says, if you are the son of God, right? That's what he's questioning. But if you back up and read around, you look in chapter 3 of Matthew, verse 17, it says, this is Jesus being baptized and it comes out of the water and you know everything's going on. It's, it's wild. And, the, and the verse 17 says, And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. What had Jesus done up to this point? Any miracles? Any signs? Nope. Nothing. Nothing. But God the Father speaks from heaven at the baptism and he says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. He says, this is my son. This is my son. Hmm. So when Satan throws it at him and says, if you are the son of God, Jesus doesn't fall for that. See, when I let God build my life, God will build it because I'm his. I'm his. I'm his son. Parents. Dads. In a day and age when I feel like they're trying to feminize men, and I really despise that. And they're trying to make our position as fathers in the family as something insignificant or way down the scale, I despise that too. Our society's whacked. You fathers. You're so important because you give identity to your kids. And I'm not nullifying the wife at all, so please don't put words in my mouth because that's what our society does. They go to these extremes and get crazy thoughts and assume things. Quit assuming. You're important. Think about this. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.